So, how does it feel when you play Roll Up to Win with Tim Hortons? Buy a hot or cold beverage using the Tim's app and find out. Roll in the app for a chance to win prizes ranging from free coffee and donuts to a Universal Orlando resort vacation or a sweet car. Oh, don't forget the TV. And this year, every roll is a shot at a $1,000 daily giveaway drawing for two $500 prizes. Roll up to win and get treated by Tim's. No purchase necessary. Account registration required. 50 U.S. and D.C. 18 plus entered by 4223. See rules at rolluptowin.com for free entry of full details. Void in Florida and where prohibited. Welcome back to Let's Talk About It. I am Taylor Nolan, and I am joined again by a wonderful, mindful man, Kit Bender. I wonder if that nickname's going to stick. I hope so. All right. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode and for giving us all the feedback on iTunes and Twitter and Instagram. We've been reading them, and it's super encouraging and is, like, wonderful. It is really encouraging, you know, because we're, like... We record these in relative isolation, and so any amount of feedback we get is uh, really exciting. Yeah, and while we record them in isolation today, we are recording with the company of two others. Two others. Two very special others. Yes. Lily and Theo. (laughs) (laughs) So there may be a meow or two throughout the episode. (laughs) That's okay. I don't think anyone... Hopefully some purrs. Maybe some purrs. (laughs) We'll see. We'll see how the conversation goes. Yes. Uh, But today we are talking about a topic that I feel like is thrown around a lot, but not actually very deeply understood. So today we are talking about self-compassion. Self-compassion. So I thought we'd open with a quote from the Buddha. The Buddha? That one. Yep. The Buddha. Yeah. There's like many Buddhas. But this is the, I think the original one said... Original Buddha that all the other Buddhas are trying to be. Yes, main Buddha. Okay. You can search throughout the entire universe for someone who is more deserving of your love and affection than you are yourself, and that person is not to be found anywhere. You yourself, as much as anybody in the entire universe, deserve your love and affection. You deserve it. As much as anybody. As much as anybody. Yeah. Give it to yourself. So why are we talking about self-compassion? Yeah. So first of all, it's like a new year. It's like the holidays. This is like the time where everyone is like, what am I going to do to make next year better? Right. And they're analyzing the year that they just had. But whenever we take the time to get self-analytical like that, and then also uh, not only to look at what we've done, but also to say, you know, I want to improve. And whether it's making some kind of resolution or setting some kind of task or goal for 2018, uh, we're taking this time to look internally and to be reflective. Um, So we thought it'd be a good idea to, as we're doing that, make sure that we're all being aware that to do it with self-compassion makes the whole thing a whole lot easier. It does, it does. So self-compassion, one of the big researchers in that area is Dr. Kristen Neff. And she actually found that self-compassion increases social connectedness, how connected we feel to those around us, uh, happiness, overall life happiness, uh, satisfaction, emotional resilience, performance, confidence, and of course, emotional intelligence. I think it's a very crucial part of emotional intelligence. (laughs) It is. Uh, And her findings also found that practicing self-compassion can help decrease anxiety, depression, shame, and fear of failure. Those are easy things to focus on, though. Mm -hmm. It's easy to focus on our anxiety or our depression or our shame and our our fear of failures. 
Yeah. And that's especially prevalent, I feel like, especially around the holidays too, because you're like meeting up with family and it's like, oh, am I successful? Like, am I doing enough? I don't want to fail. And then all the goals that we're setting for next year, are we setting those because we want to succeed or are we setting them due to a fear of failure? There's a difference. And when we think about compassion, compassion is literally to suffer with. So self-compassion is mindfully suffering with the self. When we express compassion towards other people, the first step of that is recognizing their suffering. So why, why would we want to do that? Like, with ourselves like why would why would we want to sit and like suffer with what we're suffering with that sounds terrible (laughs) well i think for starters because it can help with our own healing yes uh creating space to not be uh to not hold on to that suffering but to find a way to let it go is very self-healing and then also because we are able to then be more compassionate to others and assist in the healing of others when we have learned to be compassionate to ourselves and then reflect that outward and be compassionate towards other people. Yeah, when we're healing within ourselves, we're then also able to better help heal within others. And that's where, you know, I think a lot of people steer away from this notion of self-compassion or self-care because it sounds selfish. And it's like, no, you should be focusing, like you should be compassionate with other people, like not waste your time being compassionate with yourself because that's not going to do you any good. Like you need to be compassionate with other people that are actually suffering is what I think is is a lot of what's kind of thrown out there. Like who are you? Why are you so special that you deserve love and compassion? Yeah. So one thing that, you know, before we kind of get into what self-compassion actually is, what the components of it are, is to distinguish that self-compassion is not selfish. It's a form of self-care and self-care itself is also not selfish. Right. And there are ways to look at the self that can get imbalanced. And we'll talk about some of those where the looking inside can get... um, A little blurry. A little blurry. Mm -hmm. But by definition... Self-awareness and self-compassion are inherently selfless things because they help us in how we uh, approach others. Yeah, the, you know, I used to always kind of think like, oh, well, selfishness, like it's good to take care of yourself and focus on yourself and, you know, have that self-care. Like selfishness is not a bad thing and everyone thinks it's a bad thing, but like, no guys, selfishness is great. And then I like actually looked up the definition of selfishness a while ago and then I was like, oh shit, no, it's... It is, and like in the definition, selfish is a negative thing. It's so self-serving often uh, while putting other, others. Yes, while putting someone else down. Yeah, and that's not what self-compassion is, yeah. and that's not what self-care looks like either. Self-compassion is actually giving yourself permission to be human, to be flawed and imperfect, and to not judge or define yourself by your ways of being, whether like sometimes you're lazy and sometimes you're, you know, sensitive uh, to not to not judge or define yourself by the feelings that may come and go, but to actually gain perspective of ourselves as a whole. Right. All right. So before we we're going to kind of get into like what self-compassion is not so that we are like very clearly distinguishing what it is we're talking about, but First, just going to kind of give you a quick run through of what it is. There's three components. Kit, you got them? I got them. They are kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. Awesome. 
those uno, three. dos, tres. Uno, dos, tres. And we'll go into more detail in just a minute. But let's talk first about what self-compassion is not. I got those. Okay, they are. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro. It is not, number one. <laughs> uno is self-pity. It is not self-pity. Self-pity is dwelling on your sorrows, kind of playing the victim, uh, feeding on your emotional drama. Seeing yourself as separate from others and from mm -hmm. any kind of common shared human experience. Yeah, that like what... What I'm, what I'm suffering with and what I'm feeling, I'm the only one that's doing that. And like, please, like, pay attention to me and feel what I'm feeling because I'm the only one that's doing it. And Was that maybe a little... not recognizing your own humanitis. Yes, exactly. Episode two. Yeah. And number two, self-compassion is not self-indulgent. Self which to me uh, tends, uh, self-indulgent behavior tends to focus more on your short-term gratification, on um, uh, responding to an impulse. As like I want to just eat, I'm just going to eat all the ice cream because I had a rough day. So yeah, I'm going to take care of myself. I want ice cream. So yeah, I'm going to eat the whole box of ice cream. Right. Which is very, very different than uh, taking a, a broader uh, perspective and saying, what is this action uh, going to do long term? How is this uh, going to affect me long term instead of just doing it as a, a distraction from maybe what's going on? We yeah. get indulgent. Yeah. And it's also self compassion. It's not self pity. It's not self indulgent. And it's not self esteem. Oh, that's a buzzword. Self esteem. Because we're told very often, very early in our life that we need to have self-esteem. Self-esteem yeah. is by its nature, very comparative of mm -hmm. other people. It's, it's what your sense worth is, your perceived value or how much we like ourselves. And oftentimes that's actually compared against others. And that, that's where like it gets very tricky because then you can actually become dependent upon other people to actually validate your own self-worth. Right, which never ends well. No. It's a good, like self-esteem is a measurement of our self-worth, absolutely. And it can provide some motivation, but it can also have its consequences. So it, what, the motivation that it does give is, is usually short-term. Right. It's like you're good at something or you're not good at something, and so you can maybe celebrate if you're good at something and feel good about it, but long-term. But long-term, it can also like lead to things like performance anxiety, you know, like you get a good grade. So that means that you are a very worthy person, but then what happens when you get a bad grade? Right. Yeah. And so then when we're also like comparing ourselves to others to check in to see like, well, what is our self-esteem? What is our sense of worth? Uh, you know, that can oftentimes lead us down this slippery slope of like needing to be above average. We obviously all kind of want to like succeed in our society and in our lives, but average actually isn't that bad of a thing. Most of us are going to be average most of the time. That's kind of the definition of average. Yeah. But when you think about that, you know, if someone were to say that my podcast is very average, I'd be like, excuse me? Right. Right. What did you say? Because <laughs> we all want to be <laughs> above average in everything. And, and in some, we should be above average in some things. But to compare every single part of our life to the way we perceive others and then create a sense of self-worth because of that, 
um, is always going to be unhealthy. And I think a place that it's very easy to do this in is in the whole realm of social media. Once we get online, our ability to compare ourselves with everybody all over the world is so easy to do. And it's a trap we can get caught in really, really fast. Especially when what is actually presented on social media is this picture perfect life. Very rarely are people like, oh, you know, I feel really sad about myself. Right. By nature, people are putting their their best. Like I've I've heard it said that when we're uh, comparing ourselves via social media, we're often comparing our behind the scenes, the behind the scenes of our life with other people's highlight reel. Yeah. They're putting their highlight reel on their Instagram story. And mm-hmm. we're not maybe measuring up because we're seeing our entire life yeah. in the behind the scenes. Someone commented on a photo that I posted and said, oh my God, your life is so perfect. And I immediately was like, no, 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 right. no, don't think that. Like this is a happy photo taken at a happy time, but know that my life is just like yours. And there are days that aren't like this that I don't share, but... I'm trying day by day to like be a little bit more authentic with that to try to like, you know, start more of this movement of social media being a place for authenticity because that is often what leads us to actually being able to feel connected and uh, like feel this sense of common humanity with each other. So like I'm hoping to cultivate that a little bit more with my social media, but it's also taking those steps towards being vulnerable and feeling out where that feels comfortable. So like some things I'll share that I'm like, you know, yeah, that wasn't so great. And I'm comfortable sharing that with people. But then there are other things that I'm like, I'm just going to put my highlight reel out there because I'm not ready to go there. (laughs) But but I think the lesson there is that social media can be a tool as well as a trap. It is often a trap, but it can also be a tool for us to be able to Mm -hmm. be a little more open to the whole world. Um, And with, you know, find, of course, that balance of when (laughs) not to share certain things. Mm -hmm. But we, if we allow people in to see a little more of that behind the scenes, uh, we can actually use social media as a, as a, Tool. tool for connectedness. For connectedness, yeah. yeah. And and with talking about kind of like self-esteem and, uh, you know, how that is not self-compassion, uh, practicing self-compassion can actually help increase your self-esteem. Right. So along the lines of like where self-esteem is not self-compassion, self-compassion can actually help increase your sense of worth, which would be like your self-esteem. But Oftentimes, self-esteem in the long run is going to, uh, can often lead to this slippery slope of self-evaluation and criticism. Right. But because when we're accurately self-compassionate and compassionate about others, we evaluate ourselves and others in a whole different way. And so our self-esteem can go up, but not by comparing ourselves to others. Yeah, and so where where self-esteem is more kind of based on that self-evaluation and that comparison, which can also be like a self-criticism, uh, self-compassion is not. It's more of like an analysis versus a criticism. Analysis versus criticism. That's really, really important because criticism by nature has a very negative association. Yes, yeah, same with selfish. Right. But analysis can be a very good thing we need mm -hmm. in order to be emotionally intelligent. Sometimes we have to analyze our emotion. We have to be able to look at it. And to be mindful and yeah, overall it it helps. You're you're not looking at yourself. You're not analyzing yourself through a negative lens. Whereas with criticism, 
you're automatically kind of looking at yourself through a negative lens. So with self-compassion, not being self-pity, not being self-indulgence, not being self-esteem, self-compassion is actually kindness, common humanity, and mindfulness. So what are those things? Let's talk about them. Kindness. Kindness. Where we think of kindness and self-compassion, we're often kind to our friends, kind to family when they're suffering. Right. So when when being self-compassionate, you are in turn being kind to yourself. It's very easy, I think, for us to treat ourselves and to speak to ourselves differently in a way that we, treat, we would never... Yeah, we would never treat someone else. Mm-hmm. And so as a practice to take that uh, notion of kindness and uh, to think of yourself as another person in the sense that mm-hmm. if you're that voice in your head and that, that thing that you want to talk about is was your best friend, would you talk to them with a lot of uh, criticism and anger and uh, negative talk? Or would you speak to that person kindly? Yeah. Like if you came to me and let's say had a really bad night at work and like didn't get a lot of tips and didn't make that much money, would I be like, oh my God, you must have played terribly. (laughs) Yeah. Like, wow, you must be the worst piano player ever and you probably sang every song off key. You could could do that. I mean, I could. But, but I also like, know that you wouldn't. You would. You would probably be like, oh, "Some nights are some nights are hard," uh-huh. and uh, and and I could say, "Well, I, I did my best, but it didn't work." And you'd be like, "Yeah, you probably did your best, and you'll there'll be another time." Yeah. So, like, if 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 your voice inside your head was saying those things that I just said, right? That's where it might be time to stop and say, "Okay, how can I be kind to myself?" Right. Because. You wouldn't say that to a friend of yours. And that is important with the words that we're saying, but also the tone. Yes. We can, we can uh, speak very harshly about mm-hmm. and to ourselves within our own heads. Yeah. And, and along with tone, like tone is something I've had to work with a lot. Like being, being a woman, first of all, tone is very important. <laughs> if I'm in a workplace and I use like a more stone, stern, Stoned tone. <laughs> That's like, if my tone is a little bit more stoned than others in the workplace <laughs> as a woman. And that's interesting because you're sober. So I don't know how that's. <laughs> oh my goodness. If I am in the workplace as a woman and use a more stern tone of voice, that usually will not come across very well. So, like, as a woman, I have to be especially careful with my tone, even in relationships. If I like really know what I'm talking about and I like have this like stern kind of tone or, or maybe I'm being a little bit more critical mm-hmm. of something, uh, that tone comes across more than my words sometimes. Like the old uh, saying, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. Exactly. And that, that plays out in our own heads too. Sometimes exactly. it's not what we say, it's how we say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Along with tone, it's also, you know, in, in being kindness to yourself, it's like actively comforting yourself. If 
Derek comes to me and if Derek comes home from work and has had a really rough day and he's like beating himself up, I would respond to that likely immediately with like giving him a hug. Like I would want to bring him close into me. Yeah. Um, Uh, Air quote. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't realize how that sounded till it came out of my mouth. Um, (laughs) Okay. But it's that, that physical affection even, just that like one small little like hand touch of like comforting yourself or mm-hmm. like, you know, surrounding yourself in a warm environment, like wrapping yourself up in a blanket and where that kind of comes from actually like communicates to different chemicals in your brain, like oxytocin, uh, that will help reduce that like fight or flight mode where you start to go into like the fight mode, uh, like talking critically to yourself or negatively to yourself that like the parasympathetic system actually kicks in. And that's the system. There's, there's two, the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And the sympathetic nervous system is what kicks in during the fight mode where you're like, that adrenaline's rushing, you're like ready to go. Right. The parasympathetic system kicks in as you're like coming down from that, as you're relaxing that. So the kindness is what helps the parasympathetic nervous system to start acting. And that's where like you can see defensiveness go down in someone when you're like communicating with them. If you have that kind of physical gesture of warmth or using a soft tone of voice that like they tend to let that wall kind of come down. And that actually happened like a few days ago with Derek. Yeah. Because we got in a fight and we were <laughs> we were on our way to an event and we're fighting. And then we're like, okay, we can't go into this event fighting. So we were like walking down the street, but it was really cold. So we tried to go into 7-Eleven. It was closed. We tried to go into Starbucks. That was closed. So then we ended up in like this random subway shop. <laughs> well, sounds like a great place to have an argument. Yeah. So we were in subway arguing and um, I was like very just like shut down. I was like, I have not like you've annoyed me now and I don't want to talk about this anymore. And he literally just like very softly like touched my arm and then started to hold my hand. And it was so kind. Mm. And I was like, I noticed a split second of like, oh, like, babe, where I like let that wall down. But then I immediately was like pissed off because I was like, no, no, I'm mad right now. Like, let me be mad at you. Like, don't be sweet because now I have to open my heart. (laughs) But you figured it out, right? But we figured it out. Yeah. So the the small little gesture, uh, that small little like hand touch and the change in his voice totally changed the conversation. And when you do that internally with yourself, you're practicing an element of self-compassion. I think another important point is to look back at those parasympathetic, the systems and all the chemicals in the brain that produce this uh, desire to either fight or flight. Like those are based from when we as humans lived in the wild where we were constantly being... um, affected by all the stimulus and we were constantly having to determine whether that was harmful and going to literally kill us or whether it was something that was just fine. And so we're we're very, very used to responding to this, that when we get into a place where like most modern people, where they live in a house and aren't 
constantly fighting for their life, oftentimes sit on their couch and eat their TV dinner. Yeah, we still have those same chemicals that are looking for a reaction. And instead of a physical threat, often we then create these situations in our mind Mm -hmm. and we're responding to those chemicals in our brain based off of just the things that we're imagining. Yeah. Uh, And so to recognize that that is a natural human thing that we developed evolutionarily to respond to nature. But often when we get out of nature, our brain is still playing that game. And so we have to say, okay, sometimes we just got to get off, get off that train. You just got to get off. Sometimes you do. (laughs) Sometimes you do. It just, it kind of eases the tension, if you know what I mean. Yes. (laughs) No, that's a really good point. I I, I like that you brought that up. Uh, You know, it, it also like from that period of time, I think also also comes into play with how we're raised and the parenting that we experience because even like, I mean, the notion of like conditional love is fairly recent in parenting. And I mean, still today, you know, parents can be very critical when how they are choosing to express or reward their child with love. Uh, you know, it was, used to kind of be that like if you get a good grade then it's like that's great like i love you like good job right. if you fail then shame is expressed i'm so ashamed of you like you need to do better than this as opposed to like i know you did a good job and i know you did the best you could do and you know next time maybe we'll try studying together and that might lead to a better grade and so it's like that voice that you're you know the voices of your parents and the things that they say to you as you grow up also tend to kind of become your inner voice. If you're having that like negative self-talk and being very uh, critical of yourself, take a second and maybe think like, where is that voice coming from? Even very kind, loving parents, uh, they can say a critical thing and it'll just get, it can get stuck on repeat in the brain, Mm -hmm. even in a way that they didn't mean. But maybe if if it's a particularly weighted situation when you're young enough, that can just become a a broken record set on loop. And so it's good to step back and, and, and... approach that with some kindness yeah it's like god fathers be good to your daughters <laughs> there's a good song about that and daughters will love like you do because girls become mothers who turn into that i fucked it up <laughs> i knew i was gonna do that <laughs> now is your inner voice right now telling you god kid, i'm a musician i should know the words to this i've sung this song over and over oh man practice some kindness in there i have a I, I never told you the story about when I fucked up a song in front or w- while singing with an orchestra. Oh, that sounds scary. It was not good. And the, the worst part of it is that I didn't even realize I did. I sang the wrong verse and then thought my, I was singing, it was a duet. I thought they messed up. I thought they messed their entrance. And really they were just. So you were then like criticizing them in your head? Like yeah. you couldn't believe that they had messed it up. But then thought, you realized that was. And then we ended up getting, I don't know how we did, we got the whole thing back on track. And then afterwards, literally afterwards, I went from that show and played a different show and then went to a party with all these, like, it it was hours later and they were just like, yeah, you really messed that up. And I was like, wait, I did? (laughs) And we literally had to go find the video that someone took from the audience. And then, because it was, I was, I was so sure I nailed it. And that someone yeah. else messed up, but I didn't. And it was like, 
I had to, I was just like, I can't believe I did that and got like really hard on myself, really hard. And then and finally they had to all be like, it's okay. We all mess up every once in a while. And I was like, there's that number two, that common not humanity. Me, <laughs> not me, not in front of the orchestra. That's quite, like, quite critical of yourself. Was, I was very, very critical of myself. And part of me needed to be like, I, as a professional, I, I, I have really low tolerance mm-hmm. for, you know, messing up But you can separate like that, that as, as your professionalism versus who you are. And that I had to be very active in that because professionally, of course, it's not a thing that I should tolerate. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I need to show up and not mess up a song. But personally, I need to be like, that happens sometimes. Yes. And figure out where, why I messed it up and then, you know, work on that, but not use that as the yeah. evaluation of myself. Well, and that's where like that you're, you are giving yourself constructive feedback and self-analysis, not being self-critical because... The constructive feedback and the self-analysis is way more effective and motivating through that lens of self-compassion and kindness and being supportive. And and actually the kindness of the people that were there towards mm-hmm. me was actually yeah. the most encouraging thing because if they were the whole time, yeah. like right as, as soon as it happened would have been like, oh, look at that idiot. Yeah. But you have to like open your heart up even to accept that and to hear that from others and then also to like turn that inward to yourself. Yep. Yep. There was a lot to learn there. There was a lot to learn. That's a good example. I'm going to refer back to that throughout all the components, the three components of self-compassion as we go through this now. Good. We covered the kindness one. Kindness. Uh, and, and yeah, it just, just to bring it back, their kindness was the thing that allowed me to switch that talk in my, in my head yeah. to, to be more kind to myself, to mm-hmm. be critical, but then get past the critical stage and, and, and. Yeah. Because even then, as you're practicing that kindness within yourself, you're able to then also give that kindness to someone else. So perhaps now that you've had that experience and you've been able to give yourself that kindness, if you're in that situation again and someone else actually is the one messing up the song, you're not in your head like, oh my God, why are they sucking so terrible? Like, God, do they not know how to do their job? Like, they must be terrible at this. Like, you're going to be able to kind of think of, you know, reframing that to a more positive light to be kind and like appreciative of their effort and all of that. Because a person who feels appreciated will always do more than is expected. Yeah. I read that somewhere. (laughs) You don't say. (laughs) But that sums it up. A person who feels appreciated will always do more than is expected. Yeah. Find those things to appreciate in yourself and in others will mm-hmm. always, it always I think makes you, it. you'd be surprised at what you can accomplish when you are actually appreciating yourself and being kind to yourself. Yes. Because that also helps eliminate like the pressure that you have on yourself for performance. So kind of switching gears and moving to the second component of self-compassion, it actually kind of brings us back to our episode two where we discussed boxes and humanitis and it's really just having this understanding that we're all having this shared human experience that's universal. And that's really helpful in practicing self-compassion because when you have to suffer with yourself or when you practice suffering with yourself, you've, you've got to remember that you're not alone in this. It can be a very loud voice in the head that says, you messed up and probably you're the only one or you're the only one that feels this way. Yeah, that can also send you in this downward spiral of isolation and 
having this like strong need to belong, but feeling like you don't and like you can't, which can bring your sense of worth, your self-esteem down. Uh, And that just, again, that's where like the anxiety and the depression and shame and fear of failure all kind of come in because you're so separated from that. And one thing that I'm going to continue to reiterate throughout this whole podcast is that silence feeds shame and you are not alone, which is why it is important to speak out about these things. So when you are suffering and you're practicing self-compassion, like don't be afraid to talk about that and to share that because if you just sit with that and you, and you feel like you're isolated and you're shaming yourself, self-compassion is going to go out the freaking window and all the way down to the sidewalk. It's going to fall on out. a tall building. But you'll probably find that when you open up about something that other people, if you have the right people around you, oftentimes you will find that other people are dealing with many times the same thing. Mm-hmm. At least someone is. Yeah. And, and that's kind of where like going back to like uh, what self-compassion is not, where it is not the self-pity. It's feeling that you're the only one that's suffering and going back to like comparing in the self-esteem part, that's also not self-compassion, uh, is like the social media piece that like there's this illusion of perfectionism within our society as a whole and that like the need to be above average or being average and, uh, you know, that social media also plays a big part in this feeling isolated of this common shared human experience because of the whole highlight reel thing. And that's just like, you have to remind yourself that the perfect Instagram model who's traveling the world and is just so beautiful and has the perfect butt and like her boyfriend's so hot. Like you've got to remember that like she has her bad days too. Like she has her insecurities too. Like she is a person just like me. (laughs) Just like you. But with a way better life. If only everyone could be that person, right? Then all their problems would be gone. Yeah, you could only right? travel the world and be on Instagram all the time and have a great butt. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. Yeah, it's the perfect life. No, you got to remind yourself that, you know, we are all a part of the shared human experience. And sometimes even those that are, you know, sharing their highlight reel the most can be those that are actually suffering with shame a lot. And we all have our behind the scenes. So self-compassion is kindness, self-compassion recognizes our common humanity. And self-compassion is practicing mindfulness, which is one of my favorite favorite things. I think mindfulness is a great starting place for healing in a lot of ways. We got mindful man in his house. (laughs) (laughs) So mindfulness has always been something that like, it does not come super easy for me. And you practice it all the time. And that's why I call you mindful man. But like, if I'm being really honest with myself, the times that I'm mindful with myself are, are, are where I'm actually about to lose my shit. Because it's that, that split second where I'm like, I'm about to cross a line that I like stop and I like focus on my breathing. I like count and I'll try to just be really mindful, like everything that's happening in me right now. And where is that all coming from? And like, how do I take steps to like move forward in a direction that is not me reacting and losing my shit? So it's easy to wait and think about the mindfulness 
once you're in the middle of a situation where it's yeah. do or die, where it's be mindful or blow up. Yeah. Um, but I think learning a mm-hmm. and cultivating a practice of mindfulness, which for me has been um, largely through yoga and breathing and especially lately meditation. Yeah. In learning to take that space for myself. And then when it does come time for that situation where it's really needed, it's a much easier thing yeah. for me to access. And you also probably get to that place less often. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which is why it's really like beneficial to practice. And it's it's a it's a work in progress, you know, definitely something that like I work at. Um but it's you know, a, a lot of the work that we've kind of covered today and talking about self-compassion has been through the findings of Dr. Kristen Neff and right. uh, her and Brene Brown have actually worked together and they're just like wonderful women. And I'm very much kind of in the same boat as Brene where she kind of feels like mindfulness is kind of this very hard concept to grasp sometimes and to actually put into practice uh, that like it's such an unnatural thing. Like biologically, that's why we have fight or flight because when a situation comes up and we feel pain or we feel uncomfortable, it is time to dip out of there. It is not something that's like, I'm going to sit with this pain and suffering. But you find always that the thing you resist is what persists the most. And to resist the suffering and to fight against the pain always makes it increase. So we're always like holding, it's like holding it with a really tight fist. Like yeah. we don't, we don't ever kind of get through that until we open up our mm-hmm. grip on it. Yeah. And like observe it and let it be, like move through it. Yes. But the, that's is very hard to do. It's, and it takes a lot of courage. Brene calls it courageous presence, being mindful. And I really like that because it takes a lot of courage to sit with something that is either causing us pain or that feels uncomfortable or that we dislike. And it's very easy to just run away from that. Distract yourself, deflect, walk away, whatever. It's very easy to do that. But to actually sit with that for a second, feel it, let it be, Mm -hmm. is like, ooh. But it's it's worth doing. It's worth creating some kind of practice. So my recommendation is to... Uh, find some kind of meditative practice, some way to to sit with those thoughts, not identify overly with them, but like like we talked about in the first episode, like clouds going across the sky. Just maybe let them be for a minute. And Mm -hmm. if they're raining, let them rain, feel the rain, but then not necessarily need to react to it right away. Yeah. And also remember that the rain will pass. The rain, yeah. All things will pass. Yeah. And that's kind of going back to like the healing part, you know, like in being mindful and in uh, becoming aware of those things and letting them be, we are, we're, we're, that's part of healing, but we're also having to feel those things. And someone very wise who I don't know the name of once said, we can't heal if we can't feel. Yeah. Got to track that guy down. Whoever said that. Probably Tom from your college. (laughs) (laughs) Probably Tom from episode two. Yeah. (laughs) Probably freaking Tom. So self-compassion is kindness. It's recognizing our common humanity and it's practicing mindfulness. And sometimes when we talk about self-compassion, we think 
Yeah, self-compassion and self-love. Right. But that can also be very easily confused with narcissism. Exactly. I was thinking uh, initially, if you just say self-compassion, my first thought was, um, what is the difference between self-compassion and self-love? Mm-hmm. Like, can we use those terms interchangeably? Yeah. And I, I think after going through all of this, I will say that, no, I don't think you can. I think yeah. it is a very loving thing to be compassionate towards yourself. But I think to say... Uh, to use those words interchangeably and say, I have a lot of self-love built into that is this potential to slip into an unhealthy place of just loving yourself and thinking you're great yeah. from a place of self-esteem. And not even actually recognizing the parts of you perhaps that are works in progress or that could be improved, right. but just that like, I love myself. I'm great no matter what. I don't do anything wrong. I don't need to sit with any of the bad stuff. Right. Life is just great. And it's kind of like this, 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 uh, that illusion of perfectionism, you know, the, the second piece of self-compassion of practicing like and reminding yourself of this common humanity where that that's what you have to fight against is that perfectionism illusion. And that's kind of what I think is in, in embedded in the narcissism of self-love. Whereas with self-compassion, you're able to say, yeah, I actually can do bad things sometimes. And sometimes I don't do everything right. And that's part of like where you're being mindful that these things are happening and you're aware of the fact, having that emotional intelligence, that those things can go wrong and you're not this perfect human, that you are imperfect and you have flaws, but that you also are human. Right. You have it's opening this- yourself up to all the bits, the good bits and the bad bits, not the just the bits that you want to look at and love. Yeah. And the where that kind of comes into to the self-criticism, because if we are looking at ourselves from a self-love lens that, you know, can't do anything wrong and then say you do do something wrong, that that then could kind of start to perpetuate this shame as opposed to just being able to reflect with self-compassion and say like, ah, like that didn't go as I would have wanted it to go. But instead, it could be this like major self-esteem hit where your self-love, you're like, oh my God, like I don't know how to love myself through this. Like I must must be like these damaged goods or whatever. And that's where like that self-criticism comes in. And that's very dangerous. And you got to work with shame resilience, which part of the shame resilience that Brene talks about is labeling it recognizing the shared common humanity, which is, again, part of self-compassion, and mindfulness. can keep coming back to those things. Always freaking mindfulness. Always is mindfulness. And being mindful that you're not alone. So be kind to yourself. And let that kindness overflow into other people. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. (laughs) And it's... When, when we kind of go over all those three components of self-compassion, we see how it is so different than what it's usually kind of misconceptionalized associated with. Uh, making up words. That was a lot of things. <laughs> I strangely tracked with it, but not it because sense, right? it was like actual you know, words. Yeah, like you know what I was saying, even though it wasn't the right word. It was I, it's, mis- I'm jet lagged, okay? I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm doing the best that I can. That's my, that's my kindness voice in me. But so when we identify what the three components of self-compassion are, 
we see how they are very different from the things that they are oftentimes misconceived to be like self-pity, self-indulgence, self-esteem. There's some crossover and like how they're alike, but we also kind of realized as Kit and I kind of went through, you know, doing some of the research on this, that the components of self-compassion and practicing those that you actually are like combating the self-pity or the indulgence or the self-esteem. So when we look at something like self-pity, which is like, you know, oh, I'm so alone in this. I'm the only one that feels this being a little bit overly emotionally dramatic about what, what you're experiencing and thinking you're the only one that you can actually combat that practicing self-compassion specifically through practicing this notion of having a shared human experience because that sense of humanitis or humanity is directly combating that isolation that self-pity can create. And taking a mindful look at uh, the big picture is a thing that can help us from being overly indulgent mm-hmm. and yeah. getting into that kind of trap of, of looking inward in yeah. that way. Well, and also just being mindful with yourself in the moment, not even being mindful of the bigger picture, but also if you're starting to get that impulse to want to start indulging, then hold on, let me be mindful. What am I experiencing Where's this coming from? Take a second to like sit with that with yourself for a second. Right. Yeah. And that, that totally can help combat any impulsive act of self-indulgence. And then when we look at self-esteem, practicing self-compassion, specifically the kindness piece, yeah. can help to combat the negative components of self-esteem where that there's the comparison, I mean, which also is like the humanity piece, but you know, that self-talk that you're having, if you're practicing the self-compassion and you're practicing kindness to yourself, then you can see your self-esteem increase because you are having a more positive inner voice. Yes. And not comparing yourself with others. Yes. So you can kind of see how when we look at the elements of self-compassion, how they can actually kind of combat that self-pity, self-indulgence and self-esteem. Practicing self-compassion as a whole can definitely help combat all of those things, but definitely there are like some that stand out more than others specifically. But we wanted to kind of think of some specific takeaways for you guys for this week as we've kind of been, you know, encouraging that you guys reflect on things outside of listening to the podcast and like actually applying them in your real life. So one of them was a component of kindness and self-compassion. Kindness is so hard to focus on in your internal voice (laughs) and can be so easy to like lose track of. And it takes a certain level of mindfulness. So taking this cognitive behavioral therapy approach where you look at your cognitions and your thoughts and your feelings and realize that those have an impact on your behaviors. So in changing the behaviors, we look at we we really examine those thoughts and feelings and then we work on reframing those. So when you change the thoughts, you're then also changing the feelings and changing the behaviors. What are the specific thoughts then that we are that are going to come up that we need to worry about? Yeah. So the specific thoughts, well, first of all, to use that mindfulness to be aware of what that inner voice is saying. So to notice that, step one. Step two, to talk to that voice, to soften it. If you find that you are totally not practicing self-compassion with yourself and are being very self-critical or judging yourself in a very negative way, Take step two, soften that tone. Right. Step three, reframe it. So I want to use your example okay. that we spoke about earlier today. How 
you messed up a little bit. I messed up a lot. You messed you messed up a lot in your show. <laughs> can can you talk through a little bit, just as like an example here, okay. what you noticed your voice was saying? Well, initially my voice was saying because uh, it wasn't. I didn't think it was my fault, and then when I realized it, I I was just shocked, it, and and I and I and I started to ha- just from a professional place mm-hmm. say, "There's no way that this should happen. This is horrible," and then it slowly sunk in, and it it took me a while to like get past that, and yeah. then rec- again recognize the tone. And say it's okay, and a lot of that was was again their help of of saying it's okay. We you know this happens. Mm-hmm. And you reframed it. How? How did you reframe your thought? I reframed it first by uh, recognizing what I did and then why I did it, and so I, I recognized why I made the mistake. Mm-hmm. And then I just took into account all the things that people were saying of. And, and we're like, okay, this happens sometimes. And it didn't wreck the whole thing. And most people probably didn't even know. They knew there was a hiccup. Yeah. But we, we actually were able to, surprisingly, with the whole orchestra, get the song back on track and all end in the same spot. So it sounds like you softened your voice with the help of others. Yes. You experienced other people being compassionate with you. And you were able to use that as part of your self-compassion and kindness as your new inner voice and you reframed it in ways like it's okay. It was a hiccup. You know, I'm sure no one else noticed that was that kindness in speaking to yourself. So what I wonder is if right when it happened, uh, if they would have told me before I left, cause I had to leave to go sing somewhere else. But if they would have told me, Hey, you really messed that up. And then I had to go play another show. I yeah. bet that entire second show, I would have just been reeling over. Oh man. So I'm kind of glad I was ignorant of it until I could be actually around them and and know that they weren't judging me and so I didn't have to judge myself. Kind of like an after the fact kind of thing but had it happened in the moment then you would have really maybe needed to practice self-compassion in order to actually be able to perform. It would have been much more difficult for me to practice that self-compassion if I didn't have the others around me. Yeah. So in practicing the kindness to yourself and in examining that inner voice also, maybe take a look at what, what your friends are saying, the people that care about you and love you. Yeah. And if, if they are expressing compassion to you and you're still having this really harsh, criticizing inner voice, maybe try and absorb some of their stuff. Is Hopefully it's positive, compassionate stuff. If it's not, then that's a whole other thing. It may need, you may need to set some boundaries with some people in your life if, if they are constantly being negative and affecting your ability to be self-compassionate. So, Yeah, so that's kind of one option. As a, as a takeaway to kind of focus on for the week or just in general. But secondly, self-compassion journal for the week. Journaling is really can be really, really helpful. It can be. We often refer to journaling as a way to cope with things, as a way to practice being mindful, as a way to increase that emotional intelligence. <laughs> we, need, we need like a bell every time we say that. We need a bell. <laughs> so in taking this homework or assignment of doing a self-compassion journal for at least, you know, one week. Try it out. At the end of the week, pick a day, any day, uh, write down anything you felt bad about that you judged yourself for or a difficult experience that caused you any pain or that caused you to feel bad. And then after you write those down for each event or situation or, or feeling that came up, use these different elements of self-compassion to kind of actually process it all. Yeah. You know, practice that kindness, practice the shared 
common sense of humanity, practice mindfulness with all of those things, then journal about it again. Yeah. And see what if see if there's a different lens there. Right. You may find that the tone changes and then the words change and then the, the patterns of thought in the brain will begin to change. Yeah. Slowly, but that's, you know. It takes time. Progress is not linear. No. It is not. Self-compassion journal. That's a great, great thing for us to try. Yeah. And so the last option and one thing that we actually did before recording this was take the self-compassion quiz on Dr. Kristen Neff's website, which is selfcompassion.org. We'll have a link to that in the descriptions as well. Yeah. It was kind of difficult to answer because it feel, it's like very subjective and you have to be like very honest and real with yourself and what your answers are. But it was a good way to kind of practice reflecting. Well, also because it broke it down into a lot of different sections, uh, which was, uh, if it was just going to be like, you are, you aren't self-compassionate. Um, but when I got through the whole thing and then it, it did break down and say, well, this, these are the, the places where you have more strength in your self-compassion. Yeah. And again, with all the, most of the topics that we talk about here on the podcast on Let's Talk About It, remember that there isn't really an end goal. It's not like you're self-compassionate or you're not. It's not like you're emotionally intelligent or you're not, you know, it's all kind of on a spectrum, you know, it's sometimes you have a really great day and sometimes you don't have a great day and that's okay. Yeah. So I hope that one of these three takeaway assignments or points to reflect on is helpful in some way for you guys, whether you go home and journal about it or whether you share it with a friend, please feel free to give us a review. We love hearing back from you guys. So we read our reviews on iTunes. We also check our email. You can email us at ask.letstalkaboutit at gmail.com. You can also reach out on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Tamoka and Kit is at Kit Bender. And thank you so much for listening again and for being a part of this whole experience with us. It really means a lot. Namaste. Surgeons keep our hearts beating. They do the amazing, help save lives, and so can you. Your CSL Plasma donation can help create 24 critical life-saving medicines that can give Grandpa the chance for his heart to swell when he meets his new grandson or give a bride the chance for her heart to skip a beat on her wedding day. Every plasma donation helps more than you know. Do the amazing. Help save lives. Donate today at your local CSL Plasma Center and be rewarded for your generosity.